1: Well, well, he's not killing Mbappé. He's, I'm going to kill you, Mbappé, courtesy of Ray Hudson, back on the Champions League forum right there. PSG do the business against Juventus. Real Madrid was not overwhelmed in Scotland, and we got some great storylines from Shakhtar Donetsk. This and much more Champions League day one, baby. Que golazo. This is live, and it's a packed show today. Michael LaHood is in the house. Nigel Rioco is in the house, and Jonathan Johnson will join us later on. Que Lasso Champions League is back, and so are we. Begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to kego Lasso. I hope you enjoyed Champions League Day 1, Match Day 1, Tuesday Day 1. Of course, Nigel Río Coker in the house, Michael LaHood, Jonathan Johnson joining later on. This is a live episode. Live episode. Ask your questions. Be brave be questionable we want them all mike wants them nigel wants them and jj wants them of course we're going to be talking about all the matches that we saw today talk a little bit about tomorrow as well as we celebrate the return of the champions league nigel ria coker how are you buddy i'm good
2: thank you my friend i'm surprised you didn't put in friend there but okay i guess we're keeping (laughs) it very professional now i'm very good exciting games today uh everyone's obviously looking for the Paris Saint-Germain and Juventus game I'm sure we're going to get into but for me oh there was a big shock you must say there's some problems at Stamford Bridge
1: there are Mm. some big problems Mm. at Stamford Bridge I left it out in the intro just so you could say it my friend Michael (laughs) Lahoud how are you buddy
3: I don't know. Usually I'm I'm positive upbeat. There's a heavy Villa vibe about today, but that's for another pod. But I'm doing good, doing well. Love your intro. It's got me just oozing for next year's Champions League when Manchester United make it. But like I said, all these things to come.
1: He's feeling very uh, confident you, about his Manchester Did, did you say Manchester United make it?
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, hey, man. Listen, I'm just putting it out there. there. It's a marathon, okay? Not a sprint. couple <laughs> of you. games in, it's a marathon.
1: Hey, Michael, you're going to find out Nigel Rio Coker is the dream killer. Every time yeah, you have a yeah. dream, he's going to push <laughs> it for you right
2: there. Listen, I'm glass half full. Half full.
1: <laughs> Almost every single time. But welcome, everybody. Que lasso Champions League. And yes, as Nigel attested to, uh, obviously a lot to talk about, but we begin with PSG against Juventus. Uh, a good win for Paris, Saint-Germain, and even better first half. Tremendous stuff. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Ray Hudson appointed him. It's not Kylian Mbappé, it's Al-Kylia Mbappé. Two ridiculous goals. Neymar continues to elevate his game. Messi, uh, for his standards, had a good game. Uh, obviously, we can talk more about him. But let's bring in Jonathan Johnson, who's actually there at Parc de Prince. but he managed to find a cheeky little basement. I think that's Christoph <laughs> Galtier's bathroom. I'm not sure. Jonathan Johnson, how are you, buddy?
4: See it all behind me. I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you guys? Glad to be jumping cool. on with you.
1: We're very, very happy to have you, JJ. Two-one to PSG straight away. Just give me your initial reactions to the game.
4: Uh, I think PSG got lucky in the end because they had the mm-hmm. chance to kill it off. They didn't. Uh, and Juve, who were pretty poor overall, definitely second best. Uh, you know, could have come away with the point. I don't think it would have been deserved. But you know, I think. We saw the best and the worst of Kylian Mbappe tonight. Two brilliant goals in the first half, but a bit of selfishness in the second half. And ultimately, I think that prevented PSG from running away comfortable winners, as they probably should have, given the way that they created some of those chances. But there was a spell in the first half where it really was sort of a taste of what we've always known PSG could be with with Messi, with Neymar, with Mbappe, just having them, you know, combining like that. Like Sitting in the stands watching it, it's like seeing it come together in slow motion. It's it's incredible. That lofted ball from uh, Neymar into the path of Mbappe for the opener. It's just you, you kind of knew what was going to happen a split second before it actually did. And uh, I mean, honestly, absolute pleasure to watch the football when it's flowing that well. But still, you know, some questions that PSG need to, to answer because at the end of the day, they got the win that people expected them to. But also at the same time, you know, I think there have been some frailties exposed by a Juve who, in all fairness, were devoid of creativity as well. I think if they had a Di Maria on the pitch, uh, you know, it could have been a different story. Uh, You know, I think when your most creative outlet is Quadrado, with all due respect to him, I think you're going to have a long night. Um, You know, and Juve at the end of the day probably came out of this as best as they could because they avoided an absolute hiding. Uh, Yet, uh, you know, they got the defeat, which kind of felt inevitable. I mean, you listen to what Allegri was saying pre-match. It was very defeatist. It kind of felt a bit defeatist from Juve on the pitch as well.
3: JJ, just being there at the stadium, what was that feeling like when Juve got the, the goal back and it was all to play for? Because watching it in real time on the television, it just seemed like PSG were dominant for most of that match. What were the fan experience? What was that insider experience like at the stadium?
4: It's like having the air sucked out of the stadium. It's like being on a podcast with Jimmy Conrad where you know <laughs> nobody else can breathe. <laughs> no, honestly, honestly. I'm it's, tired. It's, it's, ding, one ding. Of those mo- it's one of those moments of dread. I mean, I, I think we all know what it's like being in a stadium at that moment where you know that you should have gone, you know, three nil up, you know, been absolutely cruising, and then suddenly you get punished. you know, it's just one of those unwritten rules of the game that when you don't take your chances, the other team are then going to make you pay. Uh, you know, and I think ultimately, you know, Juve. PSG can be thankful for Donnarumma for making a few saves. I still have a few questions about him, especially when you bear in mind you've got Caelan Navas backing him up. But also at the same time, you know, Juve pushed as hard as they could to, you know, to build on that momentum because it was a really unexpected lifeline for them. And like I said, took everyone in the stadium by surprise. I mean, you saw what the atmosphere was like at the beginning of the game, just electric. It's like, uh, you know, Paris had waited months to be given another crack at the Champions League after last season's disappointment and uh, you know I think they felt it was almost slipping away at that moment that McKennie tucked it in.
2: JJ, I've got two questions for you. I think you made a great valid point that I paid attention to. I thought that the connection, the cohesion between Neymar, Mbappe and Messi was absolutely fantastic, it was there to see but your point you made in the second half that Mbappe did go a bit more selfish which is rightly true. Mm. Do you think that still there could be a possibility down the line that the whole ego and diva thing could come back in there somehow and split that three up? And then my last other point to you that I've got to ask you is, do you see a difference in the style of play from under Pochettino to now? Because I personally felt that Paris Saint-Germain were a lot more higher up the pitch or a lot more disciplined. They weren't all behind the ball as they would play under Pochettino and there was that more kind of ruthlessness and, and, and um, arrogance to get forward that they have those front three. What did you see?
4: Yeah, you raised some uh, really great points in RC. I mean, I think first of all, the points on what Galtier has got um, PSG doing at this moment's time. It's really interesting because... The team, with the exception of Vitinha, is so similar to the team that Pochettino had. It's pretty much all the same players, with the exception of the Portuguese schema. I think he makes a big difference, but I don't think he makes all of the difference. It's the formation that I think Pochettino envisaged PSG playing in, uh, you know, but also I think. It's a team that is playing more for each other at this moment in time. Uh, you know, sort of touching on the other the other question that you mentioned. You've got Neymar and Messi playing for each other, playing for Mbappe. Uh, I do think that there is a possibility that the sort of ego, uh, you know, topic comes back into play at some point because I think Neymar will be, you know, really. Really cheesed off with what uh, Mbappe did in the second half. To put it lightly, you know, I think there was no need for it to be like that. It could have been much more convincing. that. I think something else that is really in, uh, impressive as well is Galtier has actually gotten these players to push. Now I know Pochettino is a is a coach who's famed for being able to get his players, uh, you know, to commit to that sort of work ethic and you know really harry the op- the opponent's defense. But you look at some of the work that Messi was doing, especially in the second half, sort of crashing into tackles, running the ball up the field, playing it into the path of Mbappe, you know, it really it feels like they're all singing from the same hymn sheet. Whether or not that's just because this is a World Cup year, we'll have to wait and see after the World Cup in Qatar. But you know, the the, the early points are, are really really positive. Uh, you know, and I think galtier does still have some things to to, to work with, but it does at the same time just feel a completely different team to to Pochettino. And I think there are many people wondering, you know, how Pochettino failed to get these guys, uh, you know, to fire. I mean, there are a few, you know, subtle differences. Sergio Ramos coming into the defence and actually being a player that PSG can rely on is huge, not only because of his quality, his experience, uh, you know, but also his leadership as well, his ability to organise the team when he's on the pitch. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Galtier is, uh, you know, making something a lot better, a lot more attractive, a lot more impressive than Pochettino managed to do with PSG.
1: Let me ask you one final question, JJ, before you go. Uh, you know, today I wake up and I see a lot of uh, Mbappé interviews. He's uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal. He's putting out there. And I'm wondering as well, you know, how much of, of, of that kind of publicity PR moves uh, that does Galtier that, like is he is he a bit of a strict manager when it comes to handling players outside of the football pitch? Do you think that like draws a little too much attention? Because on the other side of that, I'm seeing the best Neymar I've seen in years, like in years, and I feel like he's the kind of player that needs to just be nurtured. In terms of, you know what, you want to go out and have some fun? That's fine. Do your thing. Just make sure that you show up for training every day. So my I guess my question is, how much of a man manager is Galt's and how much does he appreciate or not appreciate all the things that these players do outside the football pitch and in training?
4: That's a really good question because, I mean, if you look at what was going on in the pre-match press conference, you know, Galtier obviously has a very good relationship with Mbappe. They're very at ease with each other. Obviously, communication key, uh, you know, between them being, you know, uh, two Frenchmen, it's obviously easy for Galtier to say exactly what he expects of, of Mbappe and to get that uh, in return from him, but also for Mbappe to express himself when he's perhaps, uh, you know, a bit disgruntled about things. But for Galtier to be able to put his arm around Neymar, say, this is what I expect from you and to actually extract that on a consistent basis, that's really impressive because that's something we haven't seen anyone uh, be able to do really consistently since Neymar arrived back in 2017. Now, Geltier himself, I wouldn't say is necessarily the the, the, the disciplinarian at PSG now. It's Luis Campos. When you talk about Geltier, you have to talk about Campos as well, the man who's kind of shaping this new look PSG. Uh, he's made some very interesting decisions, completely rebuilt the midfield, uh, You know, set down some ground rules for the players as well. But you know, look at when the controversy threatened to flare up early in the season between Mbappe and Neymar. He was the guy who took them aside, you know, had a a discussion with them, and suddenly, you know, that squabble, uh, you know, turned into something fairly insignificant in the end. So, although Galtier looks like he has much more control than a a Pochettino, I think it comes from there being a healthier environment at the club now. And also, before we uh, move on from uh, Juve and, and on the topic of Pochettino, I saw a lot in Juve tonight that I think Pochettino could remedy if Allegri is on the hot seat, as many of us expect. There seems to be a couple of coaches who are on the hot seat right now, Lopetegui, Thomas Tuchel. I know uh, Nigel wants to, to get into Tuchel a bit later. Uh, you know, but, And you've got Tedesco as well at Leipzig. So you know, I think Juve could do a lot worse than go for somebody like Pochettino while he's available, because I feel that even with Di Maria, uh, you know, even with Pogba, even with Chiesa back in that Juve side, I don't see a way that... Allegri extracts the absolute maximum from them in the way that Galtier is doing with this PSG at the moment.
1: Yeah, a lot of players at Juventus could benefit from somebody like Mauricio Pochettino. We'll have to watch out for that one. But Jonathan Johnson, always good to see you. I'm sure that you got to get out of Christophe Galtier's bathroom. Very <laughs> fantastic to have you, my friend. Have a great rest of your evening. Get home safe, by the way. And we will see plenty more of you this week. Okay, well, last one, of course, the Champions League. Thank you, JJ.
4: Guys, always a pleasure.
1: Yep. All right. That was Jonathan Johnson from uh, Park the Prince, of course, <coughs> for PSG. So I want to ask these two boys now about that game, of course, 2-1 uh, in Group H for PSG. Nigel, let's begin with you. And then, Mike, you chime in. Just your overall reactions over this. Do you think this is a big uh, statement from PSG, not just for this game, but over the course of the tournament about how finally they really need to win this thing?
2: I think it is a big statement. I think they really did start well, as uh, JJ said. And I looked at that game and for me, even I was very surprised that the cohesion that I saw between the front three, they looked a lot more organised and disciplined. But what I liked about them is they weren't the old Paris Saint-Germain that we saw in the Pochettino, where I felt that was so deep, everyone behind the ball when they lost the ball. Neymar worked hard under Pochettino. You see him so far from going. Now there's that bit of arrogance that we have these front three We can score against any team in Europe with the ability that they possess. But like JJ said, you still do question the back line, the defending. You know, Juventus are in that rebuilding phase. It's not the Juventus that we know of old. There's a lot going on there. They were missing, obviously, Pogba and some very influential players who could have played today. So, again, it's not looking at the same Juventus, but it's a big win still because it's against Juventus. And by the way, it's the first time Paris Saint-Germain have beaten Juventus In this competition so I know if all you stats buff out there it's the first time that they've won but it was a good performance but again it's one of those situations where you just want them to look a lot more solid defensively in that midfield area because you don't want it to be a situation where they can be so creative and free-flowing attacking wise we don't want to constantly keep relying on Neymar, Messi and Mbappe to score more goals than the opposition so defence does play a part
3: What I liked about the first half was they showed ruthlessness and killer instinct in that half. What I don't like, and I actually, I I don't share the same optimism, full-out optimism about them and their Champions League chances after one game and this performance, Nigel, is because of this. If you leave a team hanging around, let's go back to what they did against Real Madrid. They were arrogant. They were ruthless for about 60 minutes. But they didn't put the game away. If you keep one of the big boys in Europe around, and this is why the group stages are here, If you keep one of the big boys in Europe around like that, you find yourself losing that match or drawing, and then it's all to play for. I think against a better opposition, against a team that doesn't have as much wildfire spreading in it, like Juventus, it could be a very different result, but it wasn't to be at the end of the day. What I do like about it, actually... Going back to the middle of the park between Vitinha and Marco Verratti. I think it's their fifth time playing together. And it's just more of a dynamic nature in that midfield. I know Peretta is going to Juventus. He was the main man last year. But this year, I think it's almost like double pistons in the middle of the park. Marco Verratti allowed to get further forward. And this guy is a baller. He showed it on that decisive pass on the second goal. And his freedom to get more in attack, we've seen glimpses of it in past seasons, his freedom to get more into the attack will, will lead to more chances and take off the pressure chance creation off of Messi and Neymar's shoulders. Yeah.
2: But Mike, also, I'm just going to say quickly, I understand what you're saying, obviously, but you mm-hmm. can't compare this year to last year. But again, you've got to remember, it's new management, new management, new team. And I yeah. think that the management style will play a big part in when the further they go into this competition. I don't think out is going to be the type of manager that's going to be two or three nil up against Juventus and and not make any changes or see changes that need to be made quicker mm. because the priority is the Champions League. That's let's all get that right here now. The mm. priority for Paris Saint Germain this year is the Champions League, and I'm sure all three of those players definitely would like to win it. They aren't the finished cycle. I personally don't think so. I think that against better opposition, yes, it will be a lot more of a close game. It will be a lot more you know adventurous. But again. This game could have ended up 4 or 5-1 if Mbappe wasn't as selfish. Maybe, again, conversation will be had with the manager. You've got to be ruthless. We've got to put games to bed.
1: Yeah, a lot more to say about Juventus as well, uh, regarding how vulnerable they look. And of course, it's only match day one of the Champions League. Plenty more uh, turns uh, will come, of course, especially from PSG. Very quickly before we move on, because we've got a lot to talk about. But just uh, real quick, Mike, uh, Weston McKenney got a good goal once again. Uh, probably the best player for the USMNT from an aerial perspective offensively. Uh, what do you make of his goal?
3: I thought it was the type of performance and type of introduction into this year's Champions League that he needs. He struggled, especially with health, coming into a match like this, not been at his best trying to rediscover form, but to get a goal against the runner play, to do it in a way that is a midfielder, is a box-to-box midfielder. We've seen him do for the US men's national team. We've seen him do for Juve it will bolster his confidence and bolster Greg Burhalter's decision-making of reintroducing him back to the fold for the U.S. national team, which is going to be another big talking point of another player who starred today in the Champions League for Borussia Dortmund. But for Weston McKinney, when he scored that goal, Juve seemed to have a lifeline in ways that they had nothing before that. And the fact that alongside Kostic, two players, it's a big season for them. Kostic grew into that game. If you're Philip Kostic, you're, gonna, you're, you're just going to be salvating at the thought of crossing balls from that left-hand side into the player with the athleticism and just the awareness in the box like a Weston McKinney. I think that him coming into a UVA team and getting healthy and getting goals in the UVA team that is desperate to compete in Syria and in a competition like the Champions League, there's an opportunity for him to really stamp his presence in that midfield. See, Mike, I'll be honest with you. I am a bit of a McKinney
2: fan. The one reason why I like him the most is he actually has a personality and edge to him, which I feel a lot of this you Summit players don't. It seems like all the personality and edge goes to the NFL and the NBA players. But he's got that edge to him. But my thing is this, he has to put himself under more pressure. You know, if he wants to be seen as one of the top midfielders in Europe or in Italian football, he needs to be starting games and saying, I'm the man and taking control of these games where everything goes through, through me. I think at times they're comfortable to sit back a bit. And let other players take control. And for me, you have to have that arrogance about you to say, no, this is me now. You know, I'm Weston McKenney, I can score goals. I can do the defensive dirty work. Everything's going to go through me. And he has to have that mentality of people are going to remember my name at the end of the game. So I think that's still a bit missing. I think you. you I, I'm not too worried about him, but it's still getting fit for the World Cup. He's got to be playing regularly. He can't be in and out. Inconsistent. He has to say, Night, I'm going to come in this team and I'm going to stay in this team all the way through to the World Cup.
1: Yeah, a lot of it is attitude uh, cleansing, isn't it? Because obviously he's still dealing from the aftermath of uh, you know breaking protocol and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I hear you. I think he has a big personality, but he's probably trying to put himself more in check to make sure that he's not doing anything out of the extraordinary. But absolutely correct. He's a vital player for this side and he needs to continue to prove to Allegri that he's a starter, specifically in the Champions League. And of course, Serie A. All right, we're going to move on. But everybody, very quickly, uh, call to action for everybody. And I'm sure the boys will chime in Uh, Although, you know, with JJ, they've already done it. So I want to ask you out there, all you viewers out there, specifically PSG fans, are you convinced by PSG? Finally, are you convinced or are you worried that once again, it might not be enough? I would love to hear from you PSG fans and of course the neutral as well. Quickly in the same group in Group H, Benfica 2, Maccabi Haifa 0. It was the Grimaldo show, by the way. If you didn't see that goal, everybody, whoo, baby, it was Mm -hmm. an absolute, Beauty, But that means, of course, and Des did show the group uh, a little bit earlier, but that means that PSG, of course, uh, at this point, are second in that group, obviously, to the Benfica with having not conceded. And it's Juventus and Maccabi Haifa at the bottom. But it's only match day one, everybody. Plenty of football to be played. Let's go to Group G. Sevilla. Well, they got rid of everybody, basically, and they put on like 12-year-olds at the back to defend Oh, I don't know, Erlen Haaland. My God, it's the Erlen Haaland world, and we're just living in it. And part of it, of course, of the big win for Manchester City, 4 nothing against Sevilla. Nigel, Rio Coker, immediate reaction. Man City, they just keep on strolling.
2: Well, come on, let's be real. Like you said, they're severe, not the same severe that we know. You mm-hmm. know, this is a, a real bad severe side right now, going through some turmoil. Their worst start to a La Liga campaign in like, wait, 40-something years, I believe so. Man City, on the other hand, will be, well, I'm sure Pep would have been looking for a reaction from uh, obviously their draw with your team, Aston Villa, who Pep wasn't too happy about that. So uh, he wanted Was to you see... happy, Nigel. I don't know.
1: And he got a reaction
2: today, <laughs> you know, and... For me, no surprise that Haaland was on the score sheet. What a goal his first goal was! I think the Severe players literally stood there, looking at each mm-hmm. other to say, "Where did he come from?" Yeah, let he me quickly so ask you that,
1: Nigel. Nigel, let me quickly ask you that, I, and Mike chime in, of course. Mm-hmm. It was Haaland's twentieth Champions League game. Only thirty-six players have scored more goals than him in the history of the competition. That's kind of unbelievable. But let me ask you very quickly about that goal. I'm seeing a trait now that we're going to see for a while because it was a similar blueprint to the one that he scored against Villa, where yeah, that- the runner goes out wide. Right, and they already have the telepathic reaction. Right, he crosses it in, and De Bruyne, uh, De Bruyne knows that Haaland's going to go far post, not near post. He's
2: it's an understanding. Go- it's an understanding that players have when you talk to each other. And I'm sure that De Bruyne pulled him aside hmm. to let him know. You know, he's he's an athletic gift of football because of his height and his capability. So De Bruyne and him sure have had conversations, and he know now. And the more they train and play together, the greater that understanding is going to be. And for Ellen Haaland, he'd love to score goals like that all the time. It's a simple tapping you know when for the defenders it's like how can you stop him he's a physical specimen and it's just so difficult but you know not to take much of it for me like I said I'm not surprised that Man City got the win you know I think I had them on my accumulator as well for a Man City win I think I put four nil down so yeah. might give myself a pat on the back there but not surprised
1: <laughs> uh, of course only Nigel's the only one that can attack yeah, yeah.
2: That one. <laughs> Hold on, okay I'm just gonna say this though And again, this is to you and Mike as well. Obviously, yes, Man City got the win. And again, as we spoke just earlier about Paris Saint-Germain, the priority for Manchester City is the Champions League. You know, they've won the Premier It's the Champions League. They want that notoriety. They want that more worldwide presence of being Champions League champions. For me, again, like Pep said it earlier as well, they can't just think because they have Haaland that they're going to win the Champions League. He's a good piece. He's a piece that's been missing for sure. But at the same time, they still don't look the greatest defensively. They still look very vulnerable to concede goals. And the better oppositions they come against, the more that they'll be really tested where we'll see how far they've come when it comes to winning this competition.
3: I think what makes me excited about Manchester City, and I, I hear that sentiment about them being vulnerable in transition. But when I look at their group, what a great test for them to build confidence, not just in the Premier League, but in this group. Week or game in and game out to build that just fortitude in the back line. They throw so many numbers forward. And when you have a player like Erlen Holland, what excites me about this team is that you're going to get more goal scoring midfielders. Kevin De Bruyne already getting off the score sheet in the Premier League. His assist sheet is going to go up. Phil Foden, a player that I, I, I love and a player that what young player of the year and just a guy who has just a nose for goal, attacking midfielder. You can put him out wide. You can put him centrally. Just so many players who have a versatility about them. When you have a target player, when you have a presence like Erling Holland, teams are going to have to focus on him more, and that's going to create gaps. Bernardo Silva already getting a goal in the Premier League because so many teams – Erling Haaland Holland commands the respect and commands their attention for Manchester city that can unlock sturdier back lines in this competition. It's just one game, but to go on the road and really put a team who's struggling like Sevilla look, looked like just a guy who didn't even know which way was up. Looked like he was running around the sideline, asking for any help, maybe going to the crowd screaming, ayuda me, ayuda me, ayuda me. but yeah. no one there to help him. I think his job's on the line and oof, it could be a dark, dark, dark day for Sevilla.
2: But honestly, Mike, from what you saw there, you really think that Manchester City, with just the inclusion of Haaland, really could compete against some of the other top teams that's in this competition. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Who
1: would absolutely. So let, let, let's, let, let's bring it to this then. Who would be your favorite to win this whole mm. thing? Mike.
3: Ooh, m- my favorite, I said it before, when we did the, the preview for European soccer, my favorite still Bayern Munich. I think at the end of the day, if Sadu Mane can get hot... If he can get his goals in the Bundesliga, he has Chairman's League pedigree. He just gives them a bit of an X factor. And we, we, we've seen the likes of Barcelona. They're starting to figure it out. But I do like Bayern. Every year I feel like I pick Bayern. But I think they have the tools with young players and old players alike to get it done this year.
1: They play tomorrow, of course, against Inter. So that should be a cracking match to start it up. Nigel's figuring out his mic as we continue. But let's move on here and let's... Uh, Talk uh, in the same group, of course. You mentioned them a little earlier than Mike, but uh, oh, there it is again. Mm. See the 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 joys of ha- of, of having live <laughs> YouTube streaming, baby. That's it. Hey, Mike, very quickly, mm. uh, let's talk about Dortmund for a second. Three yeah. nothing, Copenhagen. Giorena, the first American, by the way, to provide two assists in a Champions League game. Quick thoughts on on, on him, this match, and and by the way, just uh, how important it is to have a healthy, fit Giorena for the USMNT.
3: Uh, we were talking about how big it is to have the, for them to have Weston McKinney in form, fit, and playing. It is even bigger to have Giorena, a player who was just beliggered by injury throughout this World Cup qualifying campaign. And injury was what got him on the field. He didn't look out of place. I know Dortmund have been cautious with getting back in form, and this is still a young player a player who has so much potential. We saw glimpses of it as to Azteca, that slalom run, a player who can play as a number 10 or play on either flank. And what I liked about it is he kept it simple. When he came on the field, the assist to Rafa Guerrero for the first goal, I really liked that, using his mind to let his body work into that game, a player who at times plays beyond his years. And you know that is the type of performance, getting a Copenhagen, in the Champions League, they can fill you with confidence to then take that with the national team. And Greg burhalter will be a very happy man to see two of his players getting on the score sheet in terms of assists and goals in the Champions League on match day one.
1: All right. Let's uh, keep going here. Mike. Yep. Some thoughts on the uh, offsite technology is very intriguing to find out this new, you know, we're going a little bit more virtual. We're going a little bit more technical, but I guess everything to aid the assistants and, of course, the head official. But, you know, no, not many people are very happy with VAR right now. What do you think about this new offsite tech? Uh,
3: man, I was already pissed about VAR to begin with. We're adding more technology. We're adding more complexities to the game. Look, at the end of the day, refereeing is down to human decisions and human moments. We see it time and time again, even with VAR. I think we're going to see even more rash decision at times, getting it right. And, and it, it, I think these are the type of things adding more technology could potentially slow the game down. And if you, if you take a long time to make an offside call or VAR call, that can kill the momentum in a big game. So, you know what? It's nothing we can help. It's the way the, and the direction the game is going. But, geez, here we go.
1: Nigel, dare I ask you about a technical question right now? What are your thoughts on the new offside tech?
2: Uh, I'm having technical issues right now. Now Now
1: So uh,
2: yeah, don't talk to me about technical stuff. (laughs) I'm struggling myself.
1: You're the worst person to ask.
2: I know. I'm the worst person to ask right now. What we've just witnessed. Keep it football for me. Yeah. Uh, I I just think it's 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 we're trying to make. A imperfect game, perfect. And Mm -hmm. it's just ridiculous now for me, in my opinion. I think that the use of VAR really should be lessened and only used for certain things for clear and obvious errors by referees. But these margins now that we're working with with the armpits and stuff, I think it's really Mm -hmm. a problem in the game, if I'm honest. Seriously, like a toenail, an armpit hair, like it's ridiculous. And it really is killing the game. I think that it should only be used for a certain amount. I think that VAR referees should have a different type of training. They shouldn't be on the pitch um, referees. It should be specifically trained for the technical aspect of using VAR. And there should be more of a pairing of a relationship where the the on-field referee has a relationship with the same VAR referee. And that will help clean up this whole game and this whole situation when it comes to all this.
1: Yeah, I like what you said there, uh, trying to make an imperfect game perfect. That's part of the beauty of this game, that it's not perfect, and sometimes uh, the flaws balance themselves. But regardless, we are at this point, and this new offside technology is here to stay. Whether it helps in the long run or not, we'll figure it out. We're going to take a break, everybody. When we come back... Uh, yes, uh, Nigel started with it. We're gonna talk about Chelsea because we gotta talk about Chelsea, and we'll also talk about some Group, group F action, including Celtic and Real Madrid. Some good stuff for Shakhtar Donetsk against Leipzig. Final thoughts regarding tomorrow, and then that will be it. Que Lasso live with Nigel Rio Coker, Michael LaHood, Jonathan Johnson. Earlier, at LME will be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Key live Champions League recap. Match day one, Nigel Riococo, Michael LaHood, JJ earlier, of course. By the way, CBS Sports is your home for the 2022 2023 Champions League, Europa League, and Europa Conference League group stages with Paramount Plus streaming every match live. And to complement the best club competitions in the world, Paramount Plus also boasts a wealth of premium soccer documentaries, including Destination Paris, which premieres exclusively in the US today and follows journalist Guillaume Balagues' path through Europe for the 2021-2022 Champions League season, culminating with the final in Paris. Balagas travels detail Ukrainian club Shakhtar Donetsk. They got a great win today and their experiences amid going through this tragic ongoing war. Check out Destination Paris and the entire Champions League season on Paramount+. Plus. Right then, let's go. Group E, Chelsea lose 1-0. To Dynamo Zagreb, it was the opening goal of the day. What a goal it was, by the way, by Ostech. Uh, Mike LaHood, initial reaction. Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel, you know, they bring Aubameyang for Fana. He absolutely got smoked in this goal. <laughs> it, like Just nothing is working for Chelsea, Mike. What's going on?
3: When you look at that game, almost 70% possession, 15 shots. How many on target? Three. <laughs> That's not good enough. This Fair is a Chelsea <laughs> team that is in trouble. They've got some new signings and it's going to take time for the new signings. Am coming to the Premier League, coming back to London, hopefully staying in the same flat that he did when he lived at Arsenal or when he played oh, for Arsenal.
2: Come on, Mike. You can't give him time, Mike. He doesn't need time. He's oh, very man. aware of the surroundings. He was only up in North London. Now he's it's in such West. He's a hard close. thing
3: to do to no, go and play in that sort of thing. I think if this match was at Stamford Bridge, you're playing at home. You have the fans behind you, but to be a striker, Coming in, everyone expecting you to save the day in the Champions League. His first, like, okay,
1: champions hold on. Match, his first champion's league match, just to echo a little bit of Mike's point, his first Champions League match is 2017. So, you know,
2: it's been- second, that has nothing to do with it. He's a top class striker, seen as one of the best strikers in Europe, correct, guys? Correct, Mike. Yeah, if Aubameyang was a bit more ruthless and serious, he should have taken that first opportunity in the game. When I was watching the game, he broke through on the right hand side. And he tried to play a little one-two with Raheem Sterling and set up Raheem Sterling when he could have gone for a clear and goal. He's a striker. Needs to be selfish, needs to be clinical. Chelsea go one-nil up there. It's a whole different game. I know people might say, oh, you know, it's if, buts, and maybes. But that's the difference of having a Haaland, a Messi, Neymar Mbappe, and having a an Aubameyang. For me there, he's trying to be too cute and play the one-two thinking it's all fun and games where you need to be clinical. You need to score goals. You need to make sure. And even if you're going to try and be a good teammate, and pass it back to Raheem Sterling, it's got to get there. It's got to count. It can't be two or three feet. So for me, it was arrogance without an end product. And uh, I think Chelsea are in some serious trouble.
3: I'd be reticent to to put all the, the blame on Aubameyang in this game. Chelsea weren't without having chances. So if you're going to say that, you know, being too cute, trying to dribble in, late in the game, especially in the second half, you're down a goal. Rhys James was trying to dribble in. You beat your one man. You beat the second. Trying to go, so you could say that about every single one. This was a team issue, not just one striker.
2: No, I I agree with you. I I I think it just plays the part of sometimes you can put a bit of emphasis on players and understanding the difference of why people love so much of the old Mbappe, Neymar, and Halland, and uh, Abamyang. You know, for me, Abamyang has got the ability and talent. But again, when you see it, for me, those are the moments you have to be clinical, score your goal, take your chances. But trying to be too cute, laughing, thinking, probably the arrogance thinking they're going to get a goal, they're going to win the game. Now you come to a result where you lost 1-0 and you're Chelsea. And for me, you've got to give credit. They defended well. They played great counter-attacking football. And they had a few chances. Um, the goalkeeper pulled a fantastic world-class save. Let's not forget that. Yep. To keep it still 1-0. And for me, they deserve the win. I think Chelsea, there's a lot going on there. No,
1: no, I, I don't think anybody's denying that Zagreb uh, yeah. uh, deserved the win. I would actually, you know, Aubameyang's, uh, you know, need to finish that is, is spot on. Actually, but I don't think the scapegoat should be on him. I mean, that. okay. Yeah, I think that's harsh. The, the goal they conceded was awful from a Chelsea perspective. Thomas Tuchel is renowned. For his defensive stability. The fact that Fofana, you know, just as we're blaming Pierre Emer- America blaming for not scoring, Fofana really should have done better. Uh, it was a tremendous counter attacking play. But th- let's just be clear on something here, Nigel, and then Mike jumps in. This right now, at this moment, is awful for Chelsea Football Club, a team that just won the Champions League a few years ago, is trying. Right. To not only defend the title from a few years ago, but also stay in a top four race that may not happen at this point with the likes of, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham elevating. What do you see right now with Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel? Is he deep underwater to the point that Todd Bowley should say, I think it's time for him to go? Mike. Uh, I don't want no silences in this show. if you don't
3: if you don't want to answer it, I'll answer it. No I'll answer. Look,
0: I'll I, I, I <laughs> it went to you first. felt like, like you were oh. avoiding it. So
3: if you don't want to answer it, I'll okay. answer it. Okay. No. Right, no. I said I'll it answer, you answer it. You know what? If you don't know. want to answer it, I'll don't answer, don't answer. answer it. Okay. Look. At the end of the day, this is a Chelsea team that, given all the crap things that are happening this season, you just landed a striker. It's his first game. And then starting the Champions League, he didn't deliver. I think it would be cruel to make that change right now. Give him a couple games. If after maybe the end of this month, if Chelsea are still not performing, then you have your decision. But to after one game, say mm, you know what, Tuchel's on the the firing block. I think it would well, be senseless. I mean, for Mike, Chelsea.
1: To be fair, my question was more rounded to the point where they got embarrassed by Leeds United. They're not doing that well in the Premier League, culminating with the fact that they didn't really play that well in the Champions League today. I guess. Yes, you're right. I'm trying to create a little bit of a telenovela situation. But but
3: even in that, Elmi, to jump in on that, look at the players that were there. They're still building this project as they're going. With Mm -hmm. each game, Fofana wasn't there. He's just come in. Obama Yang has just but come he, in.
1: He's just come in, but okay. he's, he's been playing but, football. It's not like Yeah, he's yeah but he's here. just
3: come but, into Chelsea. He's been playing for like, late. <laughs> the thing we've got to That's understand, we've, got to, we've got to accept this, right? Chelsea
2: is in that top one percent of football clubs. They're expected to win. We've seen Chelsea win Champions League, win Premier League titles, and sack the manager the next season. That is what you get for being at Chelsea. Right now, where they're at, with the players that they have, it's not good enough. Thomas Tuchel is definitely on thin ice three wins the performance- the
1: league, one draw two losses their goal difference is minus one and if Afana wasn't ready then why would Tuchel start him I guess I guess I'm just trying to figure out it's two, and he and Mike we've talked about this a lot Tuchel yeah. deserves a lot of credit for what he did during the Abramovich situation, he had to act as a communications officer. But Nigel, I think me and you are in agreement, right? I think Tuchel, it's not, I'm not saying fire him tomorrow, but there is definitely he, a deep water situation
2: here. He's on thin ice. He's on very thin ice. Because again, it's not just also the results, it's the performances. And for me, I failed to see what the game plan of Chelsea is or what their style of play is, because it just looked all over the place right now. We can question some of the signings. Yes. But again, these are all two cool signings. These are not signings that are being done by someone else. These are players that he's agreed to and they're coming into the club. And then yet he's criticised some of them. But these are the signings that he got. So there is something there because he really is being all over the place. Obviously, you looked at his bust-up with Antonio Conte as well. There's something there. He's, his body language, his facial expressions during the game as well, when Chelsea players make mistakes, that doesn't help. So for me, I don't think if Todd Bowley does decide to say, you know what, we need a change, I don't, I wouldn't argue against that. I think sometimes managers have a lifespan at clubs, whether it's two or three years, it doesn't take nothing of what he did under what happened at Chelsea recently. But for me, I just don't think the performance has been good enough for players that he asks for, that he's getting and they're still not performing and then Chelsea just still look all over the place.
3: I think, as I said before, I sound like a broken record. I think the fact that Todd Boley, we talked about the ruthlessness of Chelsea. That was under Abramovich. They have a new owner. There is no way a new owner, an American owner who's never managed a football club before, is going to make this Rastas. Let's just be honest about.
1: Oh yeah, that. no, no, no. My question, I don't and, think, that, I don't think that Nigel and, our, and Mike, you're gonna end this because yeah. we have to move us. But I think what Nigel are saying is like, he's in deep water. Whether Bowley's gonna do this or not, like that's a different conversation. But oh, should man. should Bowley be thinking about this? So I guess that's my.
3: Regardless yeah. whether. Well, my know. my thing is no. Okay. I'm very staunch on that. I'm not even a Chelsea fan.
2: I want I want <laughs> yeah, to see them know. lose.
1: My uh, thing is, I want to
2: see my them thing is my thing is yeah. You better start thinking before it gets worse and worse.
3: That, yeah. that would be a problem, and, and, and also, we've yeah. seen. I mean, after two games, and this is the only thing I'm going to mention about Manchester United. After two games, you we were talking about Eric Ten Hag getting the sack.
2: No, I never right? said that. Just for the record, I well, never said we,
3: that. There are a lot of us that were saying Eric Ten Hag yeah, to get the sack. A, this is a, there, they win one very, game.
1: There's a they very win big, win big difference, though, Mike LaHood. There's a very big difference. This is a Manchester United squad. That was random, like before your Anthony's came in and Casemiro's, a Manchester United squad that really no identity, individuality. Thomas Toole didn't just show up for this side. And to Nigel's point, he's one of these players that have come in. Raheem Sterling, an England international. Fofana, a very good center back. Now we're getting a lot of good additions. So I think it's, I see your point, but Ten Hag's thing is he was entering a pit of fire that he had just to calm down. Tuchel, uh, yes, the Abramovich situation was a troubling one, but he's been there for a while to know enough, right? That I, I, I want to add this. I,
3: this I, I, I challenge that by saying: so, when your owner, Russian billionaire owner, getting forced out of the country, your mm. club is in sanction. That's not a pit of fire. Come no, on. absolutely,
1: which is a I'm massive kidding.
3: pit of fire. That's a that's it, an inferno. Oh, it's a different my, sort not of not not inferno. Not they literally not six not months not ago not got honestly, a new that's owner. That's Okay, but he
2: knew what he was doing. But let's be real. He lost a few players, but he still had money. And Todd Boy's come in and invested money, not said, oh, no, I'm not putting money into it. He's got players he wanted. What could he moan about anymore? He's got players that he wanted. High caliber, top 1% superstars. He got, he wanted it and he got it. So really and truly, it's difficult to defend him.
1: So this is how we're going to end it. By me just doing a call to action to Chelsea fans. Chelsea fans out there, what do you think? Are you happy with Tuchel right now? Do you think, as Mike says, you know, we need a little bit more time, new players have come in, it's only September, everybody calm down, or do you maybe lean towards what (laughs) Nigel and I are saying, which is like, you know, in this very fickle, very impatient game of ours, and specifically a Premier League team, a Premier League team that really should be rivaling for the title, has he run his course. Chelsea fans, we want to hear from you. All right, let's keep going. But I love this episode. Let's keep going, everybody. I'm just going to read out very quickly. Salzburg, AC Milan 1-0 in that one. By the way, uh, Kalulu channeling his inner bolting as Okafor put him on his backside for the opening goal. And Sergio Des came on for his Milan debut. Mike, very quick on Serginho Des. Good good stuff for him, huh? Just to at least get some minutes and said yeah.
3: Yeah, it's good always to get back in a team, and especially a team that's high rolling and, and in fuego like AC Milan. This is a Milan team that, when I look at Rafael Leal, he is the best player of this team and one of the best players in Syria. Getting an assist today when Milan were down and not playing their best stuff early on. But hey, your big players have to show up, especially young players in a young AC Milan team that's coming of age. Serginho Just is in the right place.
2: Quick one, Mike. Just for me, do you think that, do you worry about the game time that the U Summit players are getting? Because obviously he came on today, but for most of the players who will start for the U Summit in the World Cup, are you worried that they're not getting enough game time in Europe?
3: That's a good question. I I worry about one player in particular, Christian Pulisic. we go for Chelsea. We didn't touch on him. He's the one player I worry about. The others, (laughs) I don't because they qualified for the World Cup, not getting full time at their respective clubs. And they will have a point to prove before going to the world cup and even have more of just a chip on their shoulder to prove a point against some of the world's biggest names from England, from Wales and et cetera in the group. So Christian Pulisic, I think come January, he needs to leave Chelsea.
1: Well, we will see, but plenty of action needs to be done from many USMNT players, and even though Brendan Aronson and Giorena and even McKenney for today are on the up, somebody like Christian Pulisic, very frustrated, needs all the minutes that he can get. Let's move on to Group F. Celtic, tremendous to see Celtic back in the Champions League. Uh, they have a fantastic manager in Anik Apostologlu. He said some great comments about that they're not going to, you know, bow down to a Real Madrid. Well, they probably, you know... Should have been a little bit smarter, I guess. Uh, but Real Madrid are Real Madrid and they win no. three nothing.
2: At I can't believe you just said that. Hey, let me just jump in there, Mike. Listen, yeah. what a game. Celtic were absolutely very good. They were fantastic. Mm-hmm. They were very, really, really fantastic. But we'll the be I'll just say this. The difference is, and this is what I said, it would probably be a Real Madrid win is, Real Madrid have that quality. That's yeah. it. Celtic could have been probably 2-0 up in this game or 3-0 up with the chances that they had. And that's the difference that people have to understand. When you pay for these top-caliber players, this is what you get. Because when they get their moment, they take it and they seize it. And that is all Real Madrid did. Because I think Celtic, if that's going to be their approach, Celtic should be in for a real good campaign, this this Champions League. Because they were phenomenal.
3: Yeah, I I agree with you. I'm so glad you said that, Nigel. Because on the counter, Celtic looked lethal. Almost yeah. lethal, I should say. And that McGregor chance, I think that's the one you're alluding to, the one that hits the post. If that goes in, we've seen those magical nights at Celtic Park before yeah. against the Barcelonas, against some of the your biggest names. When that first goal goes in, you're almost playing against 13 or 14 extra players on the field in, in green and white hoops. But it yeah. didn't go in. And Eden Hazard, a player who is just, nothing's gone right for him. Everything went right for him today with Real Madrid. Karim Benzema going off. The dream was ended tonight for a little bit, but his injury was worrying signs for Madrid. The Champions League hero from last year, upsteps Vinicius Jr., but it was Hazard who came in, playing in that Falstein position, a position that we haven't really seen him play before in his career, but he steps in, and that Slaloming run for the Modric goal, the assist, and Luka Modric. What he turns 37 in September. Jeez, aging like fine wine. Outside the boot, but it was it was Eden Hazard winding back the clock and getting the assist and getting a goal that is going to be a massive boost for Madrid. But cannot fault Celtic for their effort today. If anything, kudos to them for wanting to go after it, not just sitting back and being pragmatic. Going to Madrid or latter stages of this group, pragmatism is definitely something they can look to. But hey, congratulations for just giving a valiant effort.
2: I just want to put this out there before we move on. This is just to put out there. I look at how Real Madrid performed today, and I just think if they had Mbappe, they are Mm -hmm. the finished article to win this competition. With the mix they have got of experience and youth and Mbappe up top, they would be lethal. Just putting it out there.
1: We'll put it out there as much as you can. He is a PSG player for now. But Real Madrid do get a win. Uh, Benzema, though, to Mike's point, a little worrying with a knee injury. We'll have to monitor that. But Eden Hazard scoring his seventh goal in a Madrid shirt. And, of course, Vinny Jr. Modric uh, getting the champs off to a winning start. The feel-good story of the day is Shakhtar Donetsk with a great victory against Leipzig, uh, you may not think that Leipzig is, you know, a perennial giant in the Champions League, but Shakhtar Donetsk has gone through a lot, of course, as we know, through the past year. And, you know, it's it's been a good victory for them. Tedesco on the hot seat, though, uh, Michael LaHood. Thoughts?
3: Yeah, I would not be surprised if this is his last scene. Gave, they've given up eight goals in their last two games. Went on the road to Frankfurt who looked like they were in dire straits after two games into the Bundesliga season. Now they look to be getting their season going. And this is a Leipzig team that a year ago or two years ago, or the last couple of seasons being good on the counter was their strength. Now they, they, the only thing they look like is Swiss cheese. Their midfield looks like Swiss (laughs) cheese and Shakhtar that last goal, that Traore, I think, who has had some injury rows coming back in. I think, Nigel, I think he has some Sierra Leone uh, connections, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, conversation for another day, my Leone stars. But um, just Shakhtar were lethal. And in the last two games, what is worrying about Leipzig, they gave up early goals. It's almost like once that first goal goes in and they gave up an early goal to an outside, to, to a winger. Left winger, I think, and a right winger in a respective game. Kamada and uh, was it Marian Chev, uh, but when they give up that early goal, it just seems like it's it's just game set match. Their their body language is done. Their their energy is out, and it's just kind of like you know what we've given up on that. And Nigel, you know, when when players give up on a manager, it's it's his job done.
2: Hundred percent. So then, Mark, I'll ask you this then. So I guess Jesse Marsh wasn't the problem then at uh, um, Leipzig then.
1: Mm, So is it more so
2: about the players then? You know, like you said, they're, they're a team that actually have brought a big reputation in the Champions League for being strong, difficult to beat, youth, enthusiasm, everything that comes with it. Just exciting team. Now it feels like the wheels are falling off, conceding goals, very open, not the same kind of desire and commitment we've been so used to seeing from them.
3: I think uh, it makes me wonder if going from Nagelsmann to Jesse Marsh was a bit too much. Different philosophies, different pressing philosophies, different styles. Jesse Marsh was playing a back four when he was there versus a back three, which is what they were used to under their predecessors. And that's a big shift. In terms of your structure, that's a big shift in terms of your identity, and I I think that came too soon for this group, and this is a group that's lost key player after key player over the last few seasons. Some of their biggest names tend to go, and Upangano being one of them, but uh, the, the Frenchman, I can't think of his name right now, star from last year. But he looks disgruntled right now, starting the season on fire, picking up where he left off, but just looks like a guy who's thinking, what have I done by staying here? I should have left. And when you have players like that in your team that you're counting on, it doesn't do you any good when they're not feeling it, not not feeling the manager and not buying into his philosophy.
1: Yeah, you meant Nkunku, I believe, right?
3: Nkunku, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Very good player, of course. Uh, But fantastic stuff, regardless for Shakhtar Donetsk. haven't played at home You know, in in the home city since 2014, couldn't play for six months this year due to the war in Ukraine. Only started the season two weeks ago and forced to play the Champions League home games in Warsaw. And they began the European campaign with a four win at Leipzig. Tremendous stuff. All right, everybody, we're going to wrap up here, and this will be a question for you all. But I'll ask these lovely gentlemen here first before we say goodbye. The Champions League continues tomorrow as well. Nigel Riococo, what are your must-watch games for tomorrow?
2: Well, there's two standout ones for me. I think for me, I'll have to say Napoli-Liverpool. I think that is going to be an absolute firecracker. Um, Liverpool, for me, is still going through a bit of an indifferent time in the Premier League as well. and They've still got some issues that they've got to work out to show that they could probably win the Champions League this year. Napoli are flying in Serie A. Really look like an exciting team. I think that's going to be a great game. And that's going to be my main one. I'll also say with a little bit of a side eye, I might think the Tottenham and Marseille one could be a bit mm. spicy as well.
3: Well, gosh, I'm going to go for the marquee game, Bayern versus Inter. <laughs> this oh, game, this group, that. that's Come everyone's on. going for that. For what,
1: no, no, I have to go for it. I have to go somewhere else.
3: I have to go. For, <laughs> it. So number one, I have to go for that one because I picked Bayern to win it all. So I have to go for that one. But secondly, I'm intrigued by what's going to happen with this Barcelona team. They seem to be clicking. I know they're not playing one thing in the competition, but they seem to be clicking at the right time in time for this competition start. And it just makes me wonder. We we picked teams that we thought could progress and teams that we couldn't. We picked. I think you were the only one, LME, that picked them to go through when we did the preview. All of us picked them to get in third place. And I just wonder how they're going to kick on with their Champions League voyage this season could it be a struggle could it be kind of difficult getting off the mark or will they continue to be ruthless so that group intrigues me so much the group of death in this tournament
1: yeah absolutely um I'll just echo Nigel the Liverpool Napoli to me seems like such a sexy fixture I hope and a lot of our hopes we've been uh, having on Napoli because we were a little bit worried about them after you know the likes of Greece Martins and Insignia they left but now they're looking pretty good Victor Osman is an absolute striker to watch we'll have to see how He does against Liverpool. My goodness. But we're asking you right now, if you want to chime in, you could even reply on Pod on Twitter. Uh, What are the games that you want to watch tomorrow? And, of course, the Europa League as well later in the week. This has been a tremendous episode. Fantastic stuff. Nigel, Rio Coker, Michael LaHood, Jonathan Johnson, I believe. He just texted me. He's still stuck in that toilet. (laughs) He's trying to get out. Nigel. Final thoughts anywhere. You can go anywhere with this. So thank you so much for being here. Final thoughts, buddy, before we say goodbye. I
2: had a fantastic time. I'm looking forward to it more. Great football. I'm sure we're going to be in for some firecracker games tomorrow as well. And I apologize for my mic issue. You know, <laughs> VAR affects football and then my mic issues affects me. You know, it's, it's all in football. It all sticks together.
1: So it won't happen again. I promise. I love it. I love it. I love it. My friend, you are more than worth it. Don't worry about it. Mick LaHood, final thoughts, buddy.
3: You know, I'm just happy, as I say it each week in the build up to this, that European football is back, and the main European football, the Champions League, and this season is giving some mouthwatering matches and some interesting groups, and tomorrow will be no different. Some key matchups that could have some longer-term implications on you know tap for tomorrow.
1: Absolutely. What a great start to the Champions League 2022-2023. Don't forget, you can watch every single game on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. Nigel Rio-Coker, he's not on Twitter. He's a smart man. You can follow him more... I guess on Instagram, but Mike LaHood, at Mike LaHood as well. Jonathan Johnson, John underscore Le Gossip. You can also read JJ's content on CBS Sports website. I'm LME at LME I Thank you so much for listening to kego Lasso. Take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Apple Pod, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're also available as video, as you know. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Help us get to 25,000 subscribers. Make sure that you visit YouTube. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a fantastic rest of your evening. Enjoy the Champions League, Europa League, Conference League and much more action. We will see you next time. Till then. Bye bye.